This afternoon, uh, I'd like to speak about a subject that's very important for the Christian life, something that's absolutely essential to our spiritual comfort and joy as believers. How can I know that I'm saved? To really know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I belong to Christ. And so what we want to look at this afternoon is what the Bible has to say about the assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. And the first question we want to ask is this. Is it even possible to know with certainty that we are saved? Is that even possible? Well, there are many voices today who say, no, it's not possible to know for sure that we have eternal life. They say the best we can do is hope. We live our lives the best way we know how, and then after we die, we'll find out whether it was good enough. Maybe we will be saved after all, but there's no way we can ever know in this life. And if you say that you have uh, assurance of salvation, you know that you're saved, they think you're being a little proud, uh, that you're thinking too highly of yourself, because no one can really know on this side of eternity. Well, I'm here to tell you the Bible says different. Uh, because according to the scriptures, it's possible to know that you have eternal life. And believe it or not, there's an entire book of the New Testament that was written to tell us how. And that's the first epistle of the Apostle John. If you have your Bible and if you'd like to follow along, would you turn with me to 1 John? 1 John. The Apostle John wrote us this letter. And he tells us exactly why he wrote it in chapter 5, verse 13. Let's look there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see that? John wrote this letter to believers that we may know that we have eternal life. So is it possible to know for sure that we're saved? Absolutely it's possible, according to Scripture. We can know that we have eternal life. John wants us to know, and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So yes, it is possible to have assurance of our salvation, and it's good for us to have assurance of our salvation. It's something to be desired. It's something that is necessary for us. Because without assurance, how can we have any joy in this life? How can we have any spiritual comfort in Christ if we don't even know if we're saved? The thought that we might perish and be eternally separated from the Savior we claim to love, that thought is too much for us to bear. And even life itself becomes a burden to us. Without the assurance of salvation, there can be no joy. But look in chapter 1 here of 1 John. Chapter 1, verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. John wants us to have assurance because he wants us to have joy. Full, joyful fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So it is possible to have this assurance. But I also want to say this. It's possible to be truly saved and yet at times lack this assurance. We may truly belong to Christ 
And yet there may be seasons in life where we do not experience this full assurance. When we may begin to ask ourselves, do I really know the Lord? Have I really believed on Christ and repented or am I deceiving myself? At times these questions can enter our minds and they can trouble us. Now there are some preachers today who deny this. They say that if you doubt your salvation at all, even one time, that's proof that you're not saved because saved people have full assurance all the time. They say this, if you doubt you're damned. But I want you to know that's not biblical. Because it is possible to be truly saved and yet at times to lack assurance. Why would the Apostle John waste his time writing a letter to us about how we may know we have eternal life if that were just automatic at all times for every believer? There'd be no point for the teaching that we have here. John makes it clear that salvation and assurance of salvation are two separate things. He writes things like this, Hereby we do know that we know him. That is to know Christ. You see, it's one thing to know him, but it's another thing to know that we know him. And John certainly draws that distinction in this letter. Now, you and I understand that no one can ever be saved and then later lose their salvation. I trust you know that. It's not possible to lose your salvation. But you certainly can lose your assurance. And when we lose our assurance, what else do we lose? We lose our joy. We lose the experience of our spiritual consolation in Christ. And our life becomes miserable. Usually, not always, but usually it's because we get off into sin. We succumb to some temptation. We engage in something that should never even be named among believers. And we're so ashamed that we begin to wonder, do I even know the Lord? Isn't that what happened to King David? David was a saved man. He was a man after God's own heart. But he gave into temptation in that episode with Bathsheba. David didn't lose his salvation. But what do we find him saying in that psalm of repentance, Psalm 51? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Because of his sin, he had lost the joy of his salvation. The same thing can happen to us. So it's possible to know with certainty that we have eternal life, but it's also possible for believers at times to lack this assurance. So now we just want to spend the rest of our time this afternoon looking at how we can have this assurance. John tells us how, and he's writing with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. You see, we're not dealing in the realm of speculation or of man's opinion. We're going to see how believers can find assurance grounded upon the very word of God. When we look at this letter, 1 John, carefully, what we find is a collection of various marks or evidences that reveal the true condition of the soul. And the evidences that John speaks of may not seem to be very definitive when taken individually, but none of these evidences is meant to stand alone. Rather, they're like separate strands woven together into a single tapestry. In 1 John, they create a single picture of what a true believer looks like. And so John says, if we want to know if we're saved, 
we need to examine ourselves and ask, do we find these evidences in our lives? Not just one or two, but all of them taken together. Now, it's important to point out, we're, we're talking about assurance. We're not talking about how a person is saved. Uh, John's not giving us a catalog of things that you must do in order to be saved. We're saved simply by repentance and faith, by personally trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. John's not adding anything to that. Uh, he's not addressing how to be saved. He's telling us how we can know that we are saved. He's talking about the effects of salvation. So we need to keep that clear in our minds as we go forward. To begin, we want to look at the evidence that John represents as the one that gives rise to all the other evidences that he speaks of. It's the one fundamental reality that underlies the conduct and character of the true believer, and that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look, if you would, in chapter 3, in the latter part of verse 24. 1 John 3, 24. The latter part says this, And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. John says one way we know that Christ abides in us, that we're truly saved, is by the Spirit that Christ has given us. We find the same thought in chapter 4, verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his Spirit. You see, by nature, we are all spiritually dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. We have no spiritual life at all. But when God brings the gospel to us and he is pleased to draw us to himself in salvation, he gives us spiritual life. And God does this by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus calls being born again uh, or being born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And this new birth, it's not a mere symbol, but it's a reality. We really are brought to life spiritually. By nature we are dead, but God brings us to life by the Holy Spirit. And from then on, the Spirit abides within us forever. John says, Hereby know we that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. And so the question, am I saved? Is the same as asking this, do I have spiritual life? Does the Holy Spirit of God dwell in me? Right now, am I alive spiritually? Now we could ask the same thing physically. Am I alive? How do you know that you're alive physically? How would you prove it? Um, would you go drive home and get your filing cabinet and pull out your birth certificate. Here's proof that I was born. And that would be a kind of proof. But instead, wouldn't you say this? I have a heartbeat. You can hear it. I'm breathing. You can feel it. These vital signs of circulation and respiration are tangible, definitive proof that I am alive. And so it is spiritually. It's interesting that John here doesn't tell us to look for assurance in a past conversion experience, although that is real. 
But instead, John points us to present living realities as the basis of our assurance. He points us to spiritual vital signs that prove we have spiritual life right now. And according to John, all of these spiritual vital signs are the effects of that one fundamental reality that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so that leads us to the next question. What are these spiritual vital signs? What are the effects of the indwelling spirit in the life of the believer? John gives us very many, but they can all be summed up under these three headings. Faith, obedience, and love. Faith, obedience, and love. First, let's consider faith. The effects of the Spirit of God living within us can be seen in what we believe. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? That is, do you believe He is the true Messiah? the rightful heir to the throne of David, the one who shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Do you believe that's who Jesus is? Well, John says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you really believe this, it's a sign that you've been born again, that you really do have spiritual life. Now, this isn't all that we believe about Jesus, but nevertheless, it's a true token of the new birth. Because you know this, there are many people today who deny that Jesus is the Christ. Think about the Muslims or the Hindus, the atheists and the agnostics. They deny that Jesus is the Christ, Israel's true king. Sadly, most Jewish people today still reject Jesus as the Christ. Uh, Now we look forward to the time when our Jewish friends will receive him. But in the meantime, John says in chapter 2, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, there's no spiritual life in you. But if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that's an evidence that you have been born again. But as I said, there's more to believe about Jesus. Look in chapter 4, verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is not merely a man? He's not merely a good moral and ethical teacher, but that he is very God of very God, and that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you believe that? Well, John says, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, it's another evidence that you indeed have spiritual life. So many people today deny that Jesus is the Son of God. To them, he was a good man, but nothing more. And if you do deny that Jesus is the Son of God, you have no life in you. But if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, It's a true token that God dwells in you and you in God. Uh, But there's more. Let's look in chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. 
Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Do you believe that Jesus is the savior of the world? That he came for this purpose to give his life a ransom for many. That I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? So many people today deny that Jesus is the Savior. Sadly, there are many who call themselves Christians who nevertheless deny that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. They will profess that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God. But when it comes to His being Savior, they really don't think He is enough. They, be, they believe they have to add good works and baptism, church membership, taking the Lord's Supper, many other things in order to complete their salvation. And you see, by taking their salvation into their own hands, They've denied that Jesus is the Savior at all. And it's made manifest that they have no life. Anyone looking to their own works for salvation is dead, dead, dead. And so what do you believe? Do you believe that Christ is a sufficient Savior for all who will trust in Him? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? That He is God's appointed mediator? for sinful Jews and Gentiles alike. Do you believe that nothing could ever be added to what Christ has accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection on the behalf of sinners? If you believe he is the Savior of the world, it's another evidence that he hath given us of his Spirit, and hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us. But even this, this glorious truth, is not the pinnacle of our faith. Let's look here in chapter 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. I want you to notice the language here. He that believeth on the Son of God. And this, I say, is the pinnacle of our faith. Not that we merely believe about Jesus Christ, but that we believe on Jesus Christ. You might say, what's the difference? Well, believing about Jesus Christ, that's what we've been dealing with so far, believing certain facts about Him, believing that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He is the Savior of the world. Those are important facts. But believing on Jesus Christ, that phrase is speaking about trust. Trust. You see, it's one thing to know about Christ and all of his perfections as Savior, but it's another thing when we trust him as our own Savior. When we look to Christ and his shed blood, not just to wash away the sins of the world, but to wash away our own sins. When we're so convinced of our own sinfulness, and of His sufficiency, that we look to Him as our only hope. Our only hope. We come to see that what Christ did on the cross is enough. 
not just to save everyone else, but it's enough to save me. And he commands me to trust in him. And we do just that. We rest in him. And we call him my Savior. And there's nothing else we need to do because Christ has already won our salvation. And that's what John is speaking of here. He that believeth on the Son of God. Personal trust in Christ as Savior. And he says, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. If you believe on the Son of God, if you are trusting in Him and resting in Him, you have the Holy Spirit. There's no other way you could be trusting in Him apart from the Holy Spirit living within you. And this is definitive proof. This is the most definitive proof because think of all the promises that Christ has made to those who will trust in Him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's a promise. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believe on him, if you are trusting in him as your own personal savior, you have everlasting life. Period. And if you're here this afternoon and you're not trusting in Christ as savior, if you don't believe his blood is sufficient to cover your sins, if you don't call him my Savior. Well, this is exactly what you must do. Because Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And that includes you. You are part of this world, are you not? Are you beyond His jurisdiction? You will either receive Christ as your own personal sin bearer, or you will reject Him. And you will bear your sins alone. You'll also bear the guilt of rejecting God's appointed mediator sinners so we beg you be reconciled to God and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior trust in him now so the first spiritual vital sign we find here is faith the second vital sign the second effect of the indwelling of the Spirit is obedience obedience uh, let's be let's look at chapter 1 again beginning in verse 6 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. John says here, if we walk in darkness, then we don't have fellowship with God. But if we walk in the light, we do have fellowship with God. Uh, now, it's important here to see that John isn't speaking about sinless perfection. Of course, even true believers continue to sin. That's no excuse for
for our sin, but it is a fact of life. But a sinless existence is not what John has in mind here. In fact, again, in verse 8, what does he say? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You see, he's not talking about sinless perfection. So how are we to understand this about walking in darkness and walking in light? He's speaking about the main course of our life and whether or not we live in unrepentant sin. He says more about this in chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So another way that we can know that we truly know the Lord is that we keep his commandments. We obey him. Our obedience is evidence that we have been born again. Now keep in mind, he's not talking about how to be saved. He's, not, he's talking about how we can know that we are saved. Of course, our good works contribute nothing to our justification, but they are the effects of the Holy Spirit living with him. As he's writing this, John places a lot of emphasis on this point, doesn't he? Uh, perhaps more than we would even be comfortable with. Uh, but it's true. Our obedience to God is a true token of the Spirit who lives within us. A man who says, oh, I know the Lord, but he lives in persistent, open, unrepentant sin, he doesn't know the Lord. He's a liar. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. But on the other hand, if we have a life in which we seek to be obedient to God and to our Savior, and when we fail, we consistently turn again to Him in repentance, this is evidence that we truly know the Lord, that we truly are saved. Finally, the third spiritual vital sign is love. Love. It may not seem like it to us, but love can be a great evidence of our salvation. Look at chapter 3 again in verse 14. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Isn't this amazing? One way we can know that we have passed from death unto life, that we've truly been born again, is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think by nature we can be a little cynical about this. Ah, oh, loving the brethren, that doesn't prove very much. But it does. According to John, it proves we've been born again. Do you love the brethren? Do you love God's people? I'm not asking if you pretend to love them. If we really do love one another, that's good evidence that God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. But of course, the opposite is also true. Look in chapter 4 in verse 20. 1 John 4, 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For, how, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? If you cherish hatred against your brother, if you can 
go the rest of your life holding a grudge against your brother, your sister in Christ. You don't love God. You don't know God. Remember the parable of the unforgiving servant. He had been forgiven all that debt. But he wouldn't forgive his own fellow servant. And because of that, the king delivered him to the tormentors. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So John here says that whether or not we love the brethren is a clear indicator of whether or not we've been born again. And he says much more in this letter that we simply don't have time to look at this afternoon. I would encourage you to go home and read this little book. John says he's written it all that we may know that we have eternal life. You see, we're saved only by looking to Christ in faith. But according to the scriptures, we can know that we're saved by looking at what the Holy Spirit is doing within us as he works in us faith and obedience and love. Again, our salvation is secured by what Jesus Christ has done and his faithfulness, his perfection, his sufficiency. But the joy of our salvation, our practical enjoyment of Christ and our assurance that we belong to him, that comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, and when we quench the Holy Spirit, do not marvel that we also quench our assurance. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you say, I'm so mixed up. I've prayed so many times, Lord, if I'm lost, please save me. But I still don't feel saved. And I'm scared don't want to be lost. Well, I have good news for you. Regardless of whatever may have happened in the past, whether you're saved or lost this afternoon, you can trust Christ now. I'm not talking about saying another prayer. I'm talking about trusting Christ. Has God shown you that you were a sinner? Has he shown you that in and of yourself, you have no hope? Have you seen that Jesus Christ, the one who bled for sinners, that he is your only hope, your only hope of salvation, of forgiveness, your only hope of eternal life? Have you seen that what Christ has done is sufficient to wash your sins away? And you don't have to wonder whether he's willing to save you. If you have, you don't have to wonder if you have the right to trust in him. He commands you to trust him. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So obey him. Trust in him. Not merely as our Savior, but as your Savior. Look to Christ and proclaim my Savior. And leave this building resting on his promise. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting